Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the CDI podcast. I'm Shelby Fiegel, director of CCED slash CDI and one of your hosts for this episode. And I'm Emily Cooper Yates, project coordinator for CCED and host number two. So I can't believe we've already interviewed 11 of the best and brightest community and economic developers in Arkansas. And today we are adding another superstar to that list of guests. John Chadwell is the executive director of the Newport Economic Development Commission. And John, we're so glad that you're joining us for the podcast today. And we want to learn everything about you. So we want to get you kickstarted with us. Um, Can you share your background with us, John? And you can go all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> well, sure, I'll go back to uh, my early 30s, which is a long way back, but I um, I had to go through a career change, and as I was looking around for what I wanted to do in a new career, uh, I, I applied for a lot of different types of jobs, and one of the jobs I applied for was uh, the executive director of the Camden Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I didn't know much about community or economic development but I knew that I needed a new job and, I, and it sounded interesting. And so I thought, well, I'll do this until I find something else to do. And so I, I moved to Camden and uh, within a year, less than a year of being there, uh, I went to uh, CDI um, and started my training at CDI. And over the course of the five years in Camden and the three years at CDI, I just fell in love with community and economic development. And so in, instead of becoming a, a kind of a temporary career, it became what I would do for the rest of my life. And I have really, really enjoyed it. Um, there is always something new and something different. There's always something to learn. And as society changes, there are different ways we can um, apply the principles of community and economic development to new and um, kind of challenging situations, uh, as we all are really finding out in 2020 the whole field has has kind of changed. But that's part of what I think helps keep um, everybody in it fresh and um, engaged with their communities. All right. That um, is so interesting. I love hearing that. And I love hearing stories about that, stories like that about um, just how we all kind of fall into this um, line of work. So thanks for sharing with us. Can you also share how Newport, specifically your team, has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic? Our team, when COVID came out, we first um, began to look around at our businesses and try to figure out uh, which of our businesses were at highest risk um, during this time. And uh, we saw our job and still see our job as kind of the middleman for information. Uh, A lot of our small business owners, especially in the beginning um, of COVID-19, they were so busy trying to take care of issues surrounding their business and their employees, they didn't have time to be online to look for what resources were coming from the state and federal government, what the rules and regulations were, what they needed to do to be safe. Um, They just didn't have the time to do that. And everything was changing sometimes twice a day with new stuff coming out. And so we saw our, our job as trying to get information to uh, those in the community who needed it and then to help them find the people that could be resources to them for whatever their problem was. 
So, for example, when PPP came out, we contacted all the banks to see what their process was, to see who their key contact person was going to be for the pay, Paycheck Protection uh, Program loans. And then when one of our businesses called and said, hey, I'm interested in this Paycheck Protection uh, Program, we could say, well, which bank do you do business at? They would tell us, and then we'd say, here's who you need to call, and, and here's their direct number. And so we were just kind of the conduit to get people to the right place uh, to connect them to the supplies. And then as the crisis continued, um, we began to find other ways in which we could help our um, help our companies that were in our businesses that were struggling. So like restaurants in particular, we put out a list of who was doing curbside, who was doing carryout, um, and any specials that they might have um, over the course of time. Um, other businesses that implemented different protection features, we'd let people know if you go to this business, they're going to expect you to wear a mask and, and things like that just so that people were prepared and that the businesses could get their information out uh, to as broad an audience as possible. And then really the third thing we went through was a kind of a transition to when the businesses that had been closed for about six weeks started to reopen. Uh, about the time they were ready to reopen, uh, a lot of the PPE um, and hand sanitizer, things like that, uh, it, it was hard to come by. And so we worked with the medical community uh, in our area and some other resources, including our local uh, craft distillery who had been making hand sanitizer. Um, and we put together uh, reopening goodie bags that contained uh, enough masks to get them through the first couple of weeks, enough gloves to get them through the first couple of weeks, hand sanitizer, bleach, all kinds of different things, uh, about $350 worth of uh, stuff to help them reopen and reopen safely. And then we distributed those to all of the businesses that were undergoing the reopening process. Um, and now uh, we're transitioning to say, okay, how do, how do businesses and communities um, and community events really find a way to operate and stay in a safe environment? So can we still have concerts with social distancing, mask, temperature check? Um, can we still have uh, different business activities? And we work with them now to find out what are those regulations and how can we do some of the things we want to do just a little bit differently so that we can stay safe, stay safe and still enjoy uh, being able to live some of our lives. Yeah, John, I'm really glad that you touched at the end of that on, you know, how you all are preparing for the future, because that kind of uh, rolls into my next question for you about, um, you know, I think that you are a leader in the, the field of community and economic development, and um, so many uh, chamber officials and economic developers across the state and, and general community leaders, effect, uh, elected officials, might not, um, you know, really have a plan for the future yet. Um, I mean, I still feel like we're kind of in that recovery phase. Um, what advice would you give to community leaders from your experience and, um, you know, what Newport is experiencing um, and what direction they should take to move forward? I'm afraid that kind of what's happening in a lot of places, and it's what we have consciously tried to avoid, is people are going to one of two extremes. The first extreme is they're saying, we just have to cancel everything until things get better. We, we don't know when that will be. And in canceling everything until things get better will simply, I think, in the long run, give people uh, what they're experiencing a little bit now, corona fatigue. 
and they'll be they'll be tired of not being able to do anything and then they jump to the other side of the equation which we see in some places too that people just say well forget about it if we're we're just going to go ahead and live our life and see what happens and then people start doing things the way they used to do them um, and and kind of minimizing the danger that this presents to all of us what we're trying to do is say okay there's a new reality out here that we have this uh, this contagious disease and it is going to impact us for at least another six to eight months, we think. And so we know we know the things that slow the spread down, and that's mask, uh, that's making sure people without with symptoms aren't participating in things, um, that's hand sanitizing, that's social distancing. And so we're working uh, to do our events uh, with those in mind. So we've had. To date, we've had two concerts in our park. Um, everybody wears a mask coming in and out. Once they're seated in their family groups at a social distance from other people, they can take their masks off. The performers are 30 feet away from everybody else. Uh, and so we, uh, and the concerts have been extremely well attended. Everybody has done exactly what they've been asked to do from a, uh, a participation standpoint. Um, tonight we have a magician coming up. It's going to be the same thing. Um, he's going to actually have some volunteers on stage, but he's going to be more than six feet away. They're going to wear a mask. He's going to wear a mask. They're going to hand sanitize when they go up and when they come down. And uh, so we're and then anybody who comes into any of our events on an indoor basis, we do a temperature check when they come in. They're required to wear a mask. They're required to keep social distance. Um, and so we'll have an art exhibit uh, Friday, and we're doing the same thing. We've got volunteers who'll take temperature checks at the door. Uh, people will be required, the artists who are here will be required to wear a mask, the participants will be required to wear a mask, they keep social distancing guidelines, and then we'll have hand sanitizing stations throughout the throughout the venue for folks. And so we really, um, we really are trying to figure out, let's be able to live some of our lives so that we don't get completely fatigued on this and then start acting in ways that, that make it come back, but let's also give ourselves something to do um, with that safety in mind. And we're finding a really good response. Uh, we're finding that most people are very happy uh, to follow the guidelines. Uh, they're happy to have something to do uh, and to be able to do and to feel safe about doing it. Yeah, John, I think that I'm so glad you give those examples of how Newport is adapting um, during this time because I definitely agree with what you said about it kind of feels like there's two extremes um, in our communities, um, but you guys are finding a really good balance to kind of meet in the middle um, and kind of, like you said, continue on with life just in a little bit of different way. Um, and it, it sounds like I need to come up to Newport because I'm, I'm bored and I need something to do. <laughs> so we just need to take a trip, a team trip up to, uh, the magician show. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, it is tough. It is tough for, uh, especially for folks who haven't been in work. I mean, you, you said this was your first, y'all's first day back at the office. And, uh, we fortunately, we never went through that. We were, our office was closed to the public for three weeks uh, early on, but we've been open uh, and working at the office. But my wife, um, she travels. She's a, a sales rep, and she travels to different stores all over the state. And back about the 15th, 17th of March, her her company told her she couldn't travel anymore. And so she's kind of been stuck at home trying to do everything over email and Zoom and, and the phone and everything. And I can see 
from her uh, how hard that is when you're used to being out and doing and being around folks to be stuck at home. And I know there's a lot of people in that situation uh, that have been like that. And so we just, we're going to have to figure out a new normal uh, until there's a vaccine. And even after there's a vaccine, this is not going to just completely disappear. So to sit back and, and hope it goes away is, is not a realistic uh, approach for, I think, any community. And we've got to start thinking about how do we how do we live in a post-COVID world uh, and and live with the realization that even if we get a vaccine for COVID-19 and we're all fine, how long is it till the next uh, pandemic comes along? With our world being so interconnected and people traveling so much, um, it's easier than ever for this kind of pandemic to happen. And so I think rather than it being another 100 years before we have one, it may be another five or 10. Uh, and so we need to learn from this uh, experience and, and be ready when it happens that we can do things in a better and uh, more effective way. Yeah, 100% agreed. Right. I agree, too. Um, it's really thoughtful, a really thoughtful response and a really thoughtful way to kind of go about things, I think. So, so, John, we want to wrap up your interview by tying this conversation back to CDI. You've always been a dedicated supporter of CDI, in addition to a speaker on a variety of topics. When you participated in CDI, what had the biggest impact on you and your work? And why, was you, why would you suggest a leader participate in CDI? Well, my, my CDI uh, certificate of completion is still on my wall in my office. And I graduated in August of 1997, uh, so it was a while back. But as I said, I came into the profession knowing almost nothing about how community and economic development really work. Now, I'd lived in a community and I'd watched economic development and sometimes what I felt like was the lack of economic development. And I always used that wonderful phrase that everybody uses, why don't they do something? Um, and so CDI really helped me understand that there is no they, it's a we, and that if we live in the community, we've all got to be part of the process. Um, that and so many of the skills about how to get information, how to help lead people, how to work with others, um, the resources in the state. I made some lifelong contacts that I continue uh, to use uh, today through CDI. And I really don't think I would probably still be in the field if I had not gone through CDI early on. So I got I got the job in late 94. I went through CDI in 95, 96, and 97. And that really helped cement me into the job. And so I look at leaders who either they're coming into community and economic development field from some other field, which I think is probably about 50% of the people who enter this field. And it... CDI will give you a good grounding and a good background into what you need to know to be able to do the job well. But even if you've been doing it for a long time, um, I think sometimes we've got to remember, we've got to refresh ourselves. We've got to recharge our batteries. We've got to look at different perspectives. We can get accustomed to looking at things the same way all the time. And so CDI helps you change that focus and see things from a new perspective, which can help you come up with new creative and innovative ways to guide the community. And then finally, I would say for elected officials, I think it is 
very, very, very important. Um, most elected officials, while they will run on community development and economic development issues, uh, the dynamics of how making those things happen um, is a lot, are a lot different than sometimes what you think when you are looking in from the outside. And so CDI helps give a background. Plus, if you're an elected official, you will build a network of statewide resources that can help you as you try to work in your community. And if you ever get stumped for something that will work, then you've got a whole host of people you can call uh, to help you. Uh, to guide you or for advice. And so anybody, I've, I've told anybody who uh, is interested in this field that they need to go through CDI. And as part of our um, organizational structure, if you work here, uh, you will go to CDI. There's just no exceptions. Uh, everybody who we employ at any level of position uh, in our organization will go through CDI. And we've had some who've gone through one year and then and left to go do other things and we've had some who've graduated uh, from CDI uh, but every everybody who has gone through it has said I am so glad I went through this and there was things even about our job that we're doing I did not understand until I went through CDI. Jonathan you really hit the nail on the head and um, I did not pay John to say those nice things I want to give let, let our listeners know that was uh, purely John speaking um, but it, I mean it sounded we just love hearing from our um, graduates um, and our speakers and like I said John's always been a big supporter of CDI and we really appreciate you and your staff your staff is wonderful in Newport you have a great group of folks working for you um, and they're all of our, our all of our friends in our network too um, and I just want to end on saying you know thank you so much I know you have a very busy schedule especially in the state that we're currently in uh, with COVID um, and I want to encourage all of our listeners, speaking of resources, if they haven't connected with you, I know that uh, you are always available to help any community leader. Um, and um, so if you don't know John, definitely reach out and introduce yourself uh, because you're a great resource for our communities across the state. And Newport is very lucky to have you as an asset. Well, I'm, I'm lucky to be here and with a great community, but I've just benefited so much from mentors throughout the state during my career, and, and I've never found anybody who turned me away when I called for advice, so I, I am happy to, to give back when I have a chance. All right. Thanks again, John, so much. Um, on upcoming episodes, the CDI podcast will feature CDI graduates and participants, community partners, and community and economic development experts from across Arkansas and the Mid-South. We hope you join us next week on the CDI podcast.